This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome, and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No! No, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain, and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability, no system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Paid two billion for the Clippers. Everyone thought it was a crazy price. I was on TV back then. I was. I think that you're only defender for the price. I thought. I, I thought it should have been at least two billion, just the way the league was going and the media rights and um, you're basically buying. I, I was comparing it to beachfront property. There's 30 houses on the beach, and you bought one of the 30 houses, and you bought the one of the ones that was in LA, the, the second biggest market. Um, chance to build your own arena potentially someday, all that stuff. And now I think people understand, like that was actually a good purchase. People thought you overpaid. You probably underpaid. Well, it's kind of a funny thing. Why are the prices of sports franchises up? Because I paid $2 billion <laughs> for the Clippers. <laughs> yeah, you, there aren't that many transactions. There yeah. just aren't many sales. So in a sense, values determine when something sells. And it's not just that LA's beachfront. But how do we say this in the right way? If you look at potential buyers from outside the U.S., people want to come to L.A. Yeah. They want to go to Miami. They want to go to New York. That makes the price of franchises in those places even worth more than the other, you know, other 30, if you will, franchises around. So I feel very comfortable. Um, I'm not planning on selling the team anyway, so that makes life even simpler for me. Um, I'm 60, almost 61. Uh, hopefully 40 years from now, I'll be still coming down for games. Uh, but that'll be, that'll not be up to me whether I've still got it when I'm a hundred. Well, we should mention that was three years ago. There hasn't been an NBA team for sale since. And that was. No, no, no. Or, one, or one. sold. One. The Which Hawks. One? The Hawks sold. Right. And that was through right. another set of tumult with ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like that was an intentional sale. Nope, nor was the Clippers. No. So you can kind of say there hasn't, the only intentional sale in the last three plus years was the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes. 
And at in 2010, before the lockout and when people were really worried about the economics because of the attendance, we didn't have any idea what the streaming was going to look like at that point. And I remember I wrote a column in 2010, I think, about like, this is bad. This is there's seven to eight teams that could be had right now. You look at what the Sixers guys paid. I think they paid like maybe two eighty. My I think it was under three, you know, and and um almost like did the league a favor by stepping in. I don't think they had a lot of bidders. And now it's just completely flipped. What do you think the biggest reason is other than the personalities of the players and the star power and all that. To me, it's the streaming and the possibility of all these different countries that can stream games 10 years from now. What do you think it is? I think it's three things. I think it's the excitement in the game, for sure. I think it is the possibility for new revenue streams, streaming over overseas. I think of streaming as a, a net growth opportunity, although some people can get scared, ooh, the yeah. TV revenue is going away over some period of time. And the last thing, which is probably important to note is, as society in general gets wealthier, particularly um, the people who are fortunate enough to make big fortunes, guess what? The price of teams are going to go up. Yeah. Because the people who can buy beachfront have more. So to the degree that you have these big fortunes, and I would say private equity. If you look at the number of owners who came out of the private fa- equity or hedge fund business, yeah, the tech business going up. I mean- you know, there's a lot of owners who've been in the game for a long time, but as teams sell, um, you know, that tends to be where they're going. You know, take a look at uh, Sacramento, tech industry, Clips, tech industry, uh, Philadelphia, hedge fund business, Atlanta, hedge fund business, Milwaukee, hedge fund business. Yeah. Just as a reminder, it's a combination of the excitement of the game, the revenue opportunities, and what the buyers can pay. And what's interesting is nobody factors that in when they talk about why somebody wants to buy a team. Like a, like the Forbes list drives me crazy. Forbes like, here's the valuation. It's like, you can't put a price on what it's like to own a basketball team in LA, especially if you're a rich guy and you have enough money to do basically whatever you want. You're going to buy a house, you buy a second house, you buy some cars, you might have your own plane. But ultimately, like owning your own team, I'm sure these last three years have been really just fun for you as a human being. Like you're the guy you walk in, you have your seats behind the basket. And I don't know. I would just imagine it's exhilarating. It, it, it's super fun. Yeah. I'm not going to deny it. It is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun in a lot of different ways. Yeah. You know, the notion of, which I can't, I can't say like childhood dream, who has a childhood dream that they were able to afford a basketball team. Not me, but all of a sudden, you know, you, wow, you get to think, you know, with, with in our case, Doc and Lawrence Frank, okay, where do we go? What's the team going to look like three, five years from now? Uh, you get to think about that. You get to hear from, in our case, Doc, what's the, what's the dynamic? What's going on inside with the chemistry of the team? What's good? What's bad? What's ugly? The business. Hey, I love the business side. Also quite interesting. Ticket pricing is a real complicated thing. I love technology. I think technology will change the viewing experience for the game. Yeah. That's super fun for me. Um, you know, we have uh, now seven years left on our lease, and we got to think about, do we stay in our current home? Do we look at a new home? Uh, but, you know, that's a kind oh, of once-in-a-generation opportunity for an owner. You're arena. Who are you kidding? Well, I, I haven't made that you're decision, but I'm man. glad you have, Bill. Come on. You're building a new one. <laughs> 
I would bet, I would bet anything that you're building a new arena. Why would? Here's the thing. I've had Clippers since They're expensive. These arena things, they're not cheap. And this is California. There's no public money in this game. Listen, I've I've had season tickets since 2004. You get all the worst dates. Sunday night Oscars. Oh, Clippers home game. No, we're the third ten in the building. You're the third. The way it works, it's even in the lease. It's in the lease. We're the third tenant. I get that. I would never do another lease where we're the third tenant. You can't. It makes it harder to win ball games because we're not only are we playing on nights when it's harder to bring people into the building. We play Monday nights. Monday night football is our our time. But also. You know, it means we have less flexibility in the schedule. It means it's tougher for our, uh, us to get our dates in, which makes yeah. our travel schedule. Everything's a little harder. So I wouldn't do it like we do it today. Uh, in the future, I'd look for, let me call it scheduling parity with the other guys in the building. I'm not complaining because I love having tickets for an NBA team. It was one of the reasons, like, I, I'm from Boston. We had Celtics season tickets forever. Got to LA as soon as I had enough time. My schedule got corporate tickets for the other team because at that point they were terrible. But it's amazing. I mean, you you can count on like home games going head to head with round one and round two of the NFL playoffs. That's a lock. Hey, here's a twelve o'clock Saturday game against the AFC Championship game, the Oscars. It's just left and right. There are all these there are all these scheduling things that uh, that you can just tell. They're like the the ugly stepbrother of the LA Staples Center scene. So we're the guys who signed the lease third. We get the we get the smallest locker room that that's gonna right. be in the lease, and you know we need to fix some things up. That was one of the smart things that that doc did was cover up the Lakers stuff and put Clippers people there, so it felt more like thing. But like I said, I'm in section 101, where it's basically all 1984. They they call them the 84s. It's people that when they moved from San Diego to LA in '84, yeah, these people are the best, and they've kept them for the most part, and it's real diehard fans. Um, on the other hand, there's been this new wave of Cooper fans that kind of came in since, since Blake and Chris showed up. And it's interesting the dichotomy between those two fan bases, like the one of them, like almost can't believe the team's good and they, and they don't want to take it for granted. And then the new fan base is like, we should be better. Like they're yelling at the refs and all that stuff. It's a fascinating mix. What was your perception of, uh, Cooper fans when, as you, as you started going to these games? Yeah, I, I, the number one thing that surprised me, and I've done some sort of clip it, Clipper season ticket holder events and stuff like that, is how long a lot of the fans, as you were just saying, have owned tickets. Yeah. I mean, no, I love the notion that we've got this kind of diehard, uh, I say it in business, you just have to be tenacious. You've got to keep coming and coming and coming and coming at things. Heck, we got fans like that. Yeah. They've been patient and long term. And I, I, I sort of feel like, oh, can we? Get them what they want here, <laughs> but they're patient. Yeah, the newer not fans that, not that much pit. Not the patience is waning a tiny bit. I'm, look, if they if their patience wanes, if they don't patience doesn't wane a little bit, that's not good. I want people who are demanding yeah. good performance. I mean, winning a championship is a big it's a big deal. Yeah, you know the number of teams who've won championships ever is small. On the other hand. I'm not going to stop and, you know, I'm going to push. I'll do anything we can in order to give ourselves a chance to win. Right. Um, so I'm glad there'll be fans pushing us. The newer fans, it's interesting for you to say, hey, look, they're more on the refs. They expect more. No, I think it's the old fans who expect more. Yeah. But the newer fans are just used to a high level of performance. 
And so in a sense, they're just looking at the difference from where they they started. And, you know, when you're winning 55 games plus a year, they're saying, okay, where's the 60? Where's the third round of the playoffs? Where, 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 where? Yeah. I The one thing that I've noticed the last couple of years, and, and it's totally because of the secondary market, is you'll see when there's five or six of the most, but you'll see it Saturday night at the Cleveland game. There's a lot of fans of the other team. There's really no way to stop it because, you know, season tickets are expensive. Nobody goes to 41 games anymore. I think that's the thing that's changed the most about being a, a sports fan over the last 20 years. People now go to 10 to 15 and they sell their tickets. And you see with the Warriors, you're going to see with the Cavs. And it's not just the Clippers, but I know you're a competitive guy. I know you're like a, this is your team kind of guy. When you see those 7,000 fans of the other team, you must go crazy. Oh, it just drives me nuts. It really drives me nuts. It's amongst the things that actually make me craziest. And when I see somebody I who's down on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a guy two, two, two and three seats down from me wearing a flipping blue and gold blue and yellow whatever the hell the i'm supposed to say though yeah oh yeah you knew who it was i yeah. couldn't even speak the words uh <laughs> but it was, I was like what the heck i went to the guys who were in the seats and said don't please don't ever do that again yeah please what are you thinking so it does drive me crazy i mean look there are ideas on how to do this differently let's talk about them okay i'm what not about sure, and i'm not saying we're gonna do them i just tell you if you look at what they do in soccer in Europe, to the best of my understanding, you first have to join the club. Then you buy your seat. What's What do you mean join the club? You're part of the football club. Remember they call oh, yeah, them, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're all called football clubs. Yeah. They're clubs. You got to pay a club membership and then buy a ticket. Mm -hmm. Now, do I like the idea that everybody who comes to our games would might have to pay someday a membership fee to join the club? And, you know, you can join the club and... Uh, not not buy season tickets, but when you want tickets, you can get them and you can come to the game because you can show you're a member of the club and you bought a ticket. Now, if you had to do both of those, the front runners who only come to see their visiting team, blah, 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 they'd have to buy a club membership. Eh, that might scare them off a little bit for coming into our building. So that's I'm not sure we're going to do it, not saying anything, but I'm looking and thinking this stuff through particularly if we're going to do a new arena. In the current arena, there wouldn't be any way to do it. The ticketing systems wouldn't support it. But we're studying what they do abroad and whether there are any clever ideas from other places uh, that would let you pull something like that off. So you could study music too, like Pearl Jam. Is, Pearl Jam created a club and their members get first chance at tickets and things like that. Could you? Well, you can even say you can't come into the arena unless you can both say you bought a ticket and you're a member of the club. Right. You have to have done both. And guess what? How many Warrior fans living in L.A. are going to want to join the Clipper Club first? Right. You can't come unless you join the club and you buy your ticket. Even if you buy it on the secondary market, you'd still have to prove you're a member of the club. Now, I don't want to scare people off. This is a fantasy in my mind. You know, our season ticket holders are just fine. Fantasy. I think it's Well, doable. right now it's fantasy yeah. because we couldn't even execute it. And we'd have to decide how much would it screw up ticket revenue because, as, as you said, people buy season tickets. And they come in with an expectation that they can, um, you know, sell off games they don't want. I like this. I, like, I hate personalized seat license, personal seat licenses. I just think it's extortion. But this, what you're describing is actually, you're getting stuff out of it. There's an obligation on the fan. And you guys, I would assume, would have the protection. Like, if somebody who's sitting courtside 
sold their seats to a Cavs fan on Saturday night. You'd be like, all right, you're going to do that? Then we're going to take your seats back. I'm not sure we'd do that. But what I probably would say, if you want to sell your seat, you better... Not sell th- those to the people, Cavs fans? No, those people would have to prove that they're pr- part of the Clipper Club before they get in. I like this. It's almost like... No, this- if you're a Cavs fan, I'm not sure you want to pay a membership fee of some size to join Club Clipper right. in order to come in. I mean, look, I don't know if this all works, but I, I'm, I'm hearing and we're studying a little bit what they do with these football clubs in Europe. You don't see... You see mostly loyal fans in soccer games, in yeah. Europe, football games, whatever. In the U.S., football's a little different because there's only 16 games. People don't put their tickets up as much, et cetera. So it's a little different in football. Basketball and baseball, those are the two tough ones. A lot of games. Too many, and hockey, too. And, and hockey, too. The Although, the I don't know. When I've, been in, when I've been in to watch the Kings just one time, Sure didn't feel like you had any fans at all for the for the opponent. And this is a more of an L.A. problem. Hmm. You know, you go to Oklahoma City, you don't have a lot of people who moved in uh, from L.A. rooting for the Clippers, uh, you know, playing the Thunder back in Oklahoma City. The soccer, is a, that, that's an interesting idea to study what's actually working with Yeah, with we're, we're, we're going to study. Yeah, that's right. We'll study and see if there's What do you think the ideas. future of season tickets is? Because it, it's... I've noticed it this year more than ever because especially like King's tickets I've had for six years in the last couple of years, because my kids have gotten older. Sometimes last second, it's like, oh crap, we can't go. We used to just put them on StubHub or give them away something like that. But on StubHub, they would go. And now it seems like the people who buy secondary market tickets, they wait because they know there's this late rush of four or five, six o'clock people that can't go and they can get in basically to the games for half price. What does that mean for the future of tickets? Well, I think probably the best way for me to say it is technology gives us unique challenges and it gives yeah. us unique opportunities. We're testing this thing this year we call seat bid, where you we save some seats that people can put up for an auction type marketplace. And that means for some games, you're going to make a whole lot more money. and some games, we will make a whole lot less money. If the concept works... Over time, what you'd want to do is have a controlled marketplace that might go to an auction bid system. Today, tickets go everywhere. The Warriors have come down kind of hard on this. They basically say, if you don't sell your tickets back to us and let us sell them, we cannot guarantee you, ticket holder, that you didn't buy a counterfeit ticket. So you better watch out. Wow. Now, they used to just, they tried a period to just ban it. You could only resell your tickets, I think, back through the Warriors, if I remember right. It's a reasonable thing to do. In many businesses, people control their distribution. They don't let it go hither and yon. You know, Apple doesn't let you buy an iPhone wherever you want to buy them. You buy them at right. the AT&T or Verizon store. You buy them in the Apple store or the Best Buy store. They don't let somebody go into Best Buy, buy a bunch, and then sell them out of the back of their closet. But that's kind of what we do with season tickets these days. My friend Nathan Hubbard, who used to run at Ticketmaster and Live Nation and uh, then went to Twitter and is still heavily involved in the whole ticket side, he doesn't understand why sports tickets don't work the same way like an airplane ticket would, or why there's not more of a trail of who has the ticket. Um, should there should this be a more complicated system for for reasons of security of the fans, for reasons of the team? Just once they sell a ticket, it just goes out into the wilderness and they don't know what happens to it. What else could we do? Well, I think some of the ideas that your buddy talks about are very interesting. Uh, you know, there were, 
originally, I think with base, just, I mean, I don't know, I'm making everything up I'm about to say here. But you think back to the old <laughs> days, there was no technology to let you do this. Yeah. And there were a lot, ton of baseball games. And you could, you know, you just walked to the ballpark. There were always open seats. And it was a little more like a movie theater. You know, if we were sitting here and you say, let's do this at the movie theater, we'd all say, oh, come on, that's a crazy idea. Why do we need to track and monitor? Yeah. And sports tickets are someplace between a movie theater slash an old baseball park and an airline ticket. And getting that balance right, I think that is one of the things that, you know, the owner, the, the owners, the league are going to have to think through for the future. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. You don't have to confirm or deny any of this, but I, I've, you know, living out here, knowing people, I've heard rumors about you know, you were looking on the West side for an arena. You were maybe going to be involved with the Cronky thing in, in uh, Inglewood. You're looking at downtown LA. Could the, could the convention center and then the soccer stadium went. What is the ideal size of an NBA arena for you if you were building one from scratch? Like, did you study the Sacramento one? Have you looked at that? Because I think that's the best one anyone's built so far. From, well, oh, you seem like you disagree. There's multiple ways to think about an arena. Okay. Uh, let me start there. Uh, location's obviously important. You can think about uh, amenities and luxury amenities for the fans, luxury areas that you can sell at a premium price. You know, the more money you make, the more money you have to reinvest back into business. Yep. So that's all, all good. You can think about sort of comfort and socialization during the game. But you can also think about that hardcore fan experience where you want it bumping and thumping. And you do things differently if you optimize around that than if you optimize. I think Sacramento, I haven't visited, but I think it has a lot of open kind of bar stand around space, uh, which is going to give you a different basketball watching experience than you would get, say, in I'll use Golden State as an example or Portland. Everything's tight. Boom, boom, boom! It's pulsing. It's and it's partly because you don't have a lot of these city around chatty areas. Yeah, it's about the basketball. So hitting that blend, you got to decide what your design point is. Uh, in terms of size, I think it's probably fair to say we want to make sure we have enough space for somebody to buy an affordable ticket. And I think everybody's got to acknowledge that a small percentage of people will pay the lion's share of the revenue of people coming into the building. So we want to get a good balance of intimacy, enough affordable tickets. I mean, if you take a look at, at Staples, we're at about, what, 19,400 seats yes. all in. Uh, and it's a very large physical space for 19,400 seats. I think it's too big. 
for basketball. I think it's very tough for basketball. I mean, we and the Lakers do it, and it's a beautiful building. Uh, and it doesn't mean we'd even move because it is a beautiful building. On the other hand, if you're trying to create that intimate basketball pump and thump feel, partly just because of the height of the roof and other things, uh, it's hard. It's it's hard to do certain things. So you don't want to be huge. The, we you could have a lot smaller nineteen thousand seat arena than you have today, or you could say eighteen thousand, nineteen thousand. You can do sort of. 18,000 probably to 1995 and still get, I think, uh, plenty of affordable seats. Or you seats. could go 14. You could goose the supply and demand and make it impossible to get in, make it like the hottest ticket in town, and then you have less parking, you have less less crowd coming in and out. Yeah, I think then what you'd wind up is very little in the way of affordability, which would be important to me. I also think there are league rules on minimum sizes of arenas and that oh, kind I'm, of thing. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah I well, Stern I mean, look, stuck that one in before he left. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. The players are our partners. Yeah, players get, you know, call it half of, of all revenue. And the truth of the matter is, then owners need to uphold their end of the bargain and generate enough revenue. And could you generate more revenue with a 14,000 seat arena? The Maybe. most revenue you could generate is if you loaded it with sweets, right? I mean, if you're really trying to be selfish. Mm, I don't know. You got to sell them. Yeah. Could a single team sell all the sweets that are in Staples today? Probably not. No, it's a corporate entertaining product. Yeah. And because you get a Kings ticket and a Laker ticket and a Clipper ticket, you know, maybe you can pull that off. I think if you were to do it differently, uh, you would not have probably as many sweets. Uh, but you would have private areas for people who wanted to own them, rent them, uh, that you could get to accessibly off the court. People talk about these bunkers um, right. off the court. And I think there's some opportunities. You go to Houston, you know, they have private dining rooms that basically you, you rent for the season. Uh, and you can have dinner there. You can sort of leave the court, go to your little room if you want to at halftime. Uh, there are a lot of ways to get some of the advantages uh, of suites without having the space, et cetera, that they might take up. The Clipper fans were tortured by Sterling. I mean, I don't need to tell you that, but uh, it's just an amazing experience watching. I'm a Celtics fan, but became attached to the Clipper fans a little bit. And they had this owner that, you know, was a wild card. He didn't spend money. He would, you know, guys, the Clipper way was the guy, they would have a lottery pick. Either the guy would flame out Sometimes he would make Michael it and then he would leave. Candy, yep. right. Sometimes he'd make it like Lamar Odom, then he just leaves. And that's what they were used to. And then on top of it, horrible scandal leads to him having to sell the team. You come in, you must have felt like the new boyfriend after following like the worst boyfriend ever. That everyone must have been so happy, like, oh my God. It's 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 an owner who's actually gonna care about us. Did you feel that? I did. I mean, in a way, I would say there's a lot of responsibility because things were messy and people were frustrated. And in a lot of ways, I could say it was kind of a low bar. Yeah. Uh, and the bar keeps, the bar's going to go up every year. I mean, someday uh, the whole Sterling thing will be well in, in the past. And then people will say, okay, well, what are you doing for me now? Where, where's that championship? I want that. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're, I think we're, at that I think point. we're transitioning. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're here. <laughs> I agree with it 100%. Great. I got over the lowest bar in the world. Yeah. Now let's see what you can do. Like, people don't remember Sterling anymore. It's like, where's our finals? Exactly. We're ready. Exactly. And frankly, I, you know, remember, I 
wasn't here in the Sterling days. Right. So I don't even really know what all that was like. It's all hearsay to me. It, you was, know? it was something. I, I believe it. It was really something. But you remember. It was amazing. I, didn't, I lived in, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, at a time when the teams were not great, but I stayed a Detroit pan, fan for many, many years. Yeah. A lot of good titles. You and which... C-Web won the title together, right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> but you, you went to C-Web's high school, right? Same I high guess school. C-Web went to your high school. He came Detroit after me. Day. Yeah, we yeah. had three three NBA guys out of my high school. Yeah. Weber, Shane Battier, Ray McCollum, currently Ray McCollum. kicking around the okay. he's, he's a country day boy as well. Nice. Uh, so, um, but... So you're a Pistons fan, and then you became attached to Seattle. And Pistons you got and, then a, and the Sonic fan, exactly. So, I, people, and we had good teams. Yeah, Detroit did well. You know, Sonics got to the finals. Whatever that would were have been. Ninety six. You a minority owner with the Sonics? No, I was never okay. a part owner. Not never had any ownership in the Sonics. I mean, look, two things. I had a full time job, and I would say you had a full time. Had a full time yeah. job. Yeah, and, you were CEO you know, of a of a trillion dollar company, Microsoft. And is it really all that important to be a minority owner and have no real influence? No. No, As, well, not you, for me. You I know this. Being a minority owner is the fool's gold purchase. It's great. You, but you're basically buying season tickets. You, you're you on a board, but you don't really have a full say. The, the majority owner is the guy that makes the decisions. We're on a podcast, so people can't see me hunching my shoulders <laughs> and sort of nodding at a set. But anyway. So um, everyone who listens to this podcast or has ever read me knows that I took the Sonics thing really personally. Uh, just as a basketball fan, and I grew up as a kid in the seventies. I really enjoyed the Gus and DJ teams, and just feel in general that if you win a title, you should never lose your team. I didn't like the circumstances that it went down. Uh, Schultz selling to a group that clearly was positioned to sell to steal them and bring them Oklahoma City. The Oklahoma City Arena isn't really any better or worse than the arena they left in Seattle. You've Seattle that, as you know, is along with uh, the Bay Area, the two biggest booming. Uh, areas that we've had in America in the last 20 years. There's a ton of money there. There's basketball history. There's fans. It's amazing to me they don't have a team. I'm sure it was amazing to you because you got in the group that tried to bring it back. How does Seattle not have a team? It's 2017. Well, let me, let me first say, I I love owning the Clippers. The Clippers will always be in LA. But I feel like I, I was part of screwing things up. Hmm. I had a chance to step forward. I stepped forward too late. What, so you're talking what? Uh, this is whatever the it was. the OKC group stepped in? Yeah. I mean, I, so like and at that time, I wouldn't even have thought about it. Full-time job. What right. am I doing? You know, yeah, of course, I remember you were in a group, right? It was, but you, Well, that comes second. Okay. That comes second. So Howard sells the team. And then there's this move, you know, can we build an arena? And yeah, there were four of us who stepped up, not to buy the basketball team, but said, hey, we'd help put money into an arena. Yeah. My neighbor, Jim Senegal, who started Costco, me, a guy named John Stanton, who started Voice Stream, which became T-Mobile. He owns the uh, Mariners now. And it was still too little, too late. And that was just all about the arena at that stage. Uh, you know, my kids are younger. And let's just say, I don't think it's easy to be a kid of an owner. I'll just tell you that. High school kid who's your dad's an owner, you know, you get busted at school and all that stuff. So I, you know, I kind of stayed away from it. And, and you I, were also super duper duper. This is like the height of when you were a CEO of yeah. Microsoft. And so, it's so like I have no time, but I feel time. bad because I was yeah. in a position to step in and then God, really? You mean it really is going to leave town? Yeah. Well, shoot that happened. And you know, then we took our run at Sacramento. Now that's a little different. I'm still running Microsoft, 
But Chris Hansen leads the group, but I'm all in. And I mean, Chris I Hansen, got- I, I got to know his bid and him a tiny bit, but he seemed like a genuine guy whose intentions were 100% good. Yeah, no, he's he absolutely right intention, cared. No, he went out and bought the real estate. Yeah. Heck, that's Which is a real basically commitment. what Kroenke did, right? Yeah. Kroenke buys the real estate and he figures, all right, now- uh, this- But Kroenke owned a team. I know he owned the team, but I mean, you buy the real estate, that's usually a sign you think you have a good chance or- Right. But there's what? a weird chicken and an egg thing. Yeah. Seriously, to get a team back to Seattle? Yeah. Okay, do you build an arena and hope you get a team? <clears throat> Too expensive. Yeah. I mean- It's a billion dollar bet. Yeah. They may have done that at OKC, but do you do that? No. Do you buy a team- uh, and tell the, the city where you bought, yeah, we're moving it. Or do you buy a, a team, tell the city where, you, where you, you bought, we're working hard to keep it there, but do you have a backup plan in your own hometown? See, I couldn't understand even how the game theory would work these days. The Sacramento thing was as good, it was good, as good a situation it was going to get. Chris had bought some land, had a plan for an arena, sack was for sale. Okay, didn't work out. I mean, it's it's bad for the city of Seattle. And, you know, people in Seattle ask me, will Seattle get a team again? I say, absolutely. I do, think it happens do you know in the next when? four years. Do you know when? And I say, absolutely, I have no idea. I think next four years. Do you? Yeah. I mean, you because, know What do you think? You, th- you think expansion happens? Yeah, I think the league can expand. And, I don't you know. know. I mean, that that that's one we've never talked about at least at the owners' meetings, but it right. doesn't mean the league's not thinking about it. But it's without right expansion, without expansion, it's wild because you'd have to find a team that's at the end of their lease for sale in a market that might be iffy in terms of revenue from basketball. You know, there aren't that many of them. Uh, and Sacramento's quiesced nicely. Milwaukee is, you know, quiesced nicely in Milwaukee. Uh, Although that was dicey for a split second when that arena that was, was dicey for a split yeah. second. I mean, I, look, I actually looked at Milwaukee. Yeah. I just retired. I went to see Adam Silver, and I said, "You know, I still really want to buy a team." He said, "Well, you can't buy a team in the city and and hope to bring it to Seattle. You're going to have to work to keep it where it is." Yeah. And I said, "Does that mean I should go look at Milwaukee because it was for sale at the time?" He said, "Yeah, if you're interested, go look at Milwaukee." I flew to Milwaukee for a day. I drove the suburbs. I looked at the city. I went to a game, and uh, uh, the owner at the time, Senator Cole, he had no interest in selling to me because I wore a "I'm moving to Seattle" banner on my head. Right. Uh, so that one didn't work out, and then I was just the luck of all luck. I love LA. The Clippers are coming through this process. Uh, I was pretty committed to getting the team. Let's just put it that way. My fear is that, I I think they're going to get an expansion team. My fear is that they're just going to use Seattle as the extortion city the same way the NFL used LA for 20 years. It's like, hey, I mean, they did it to Milwaukee. Eh, Listen, you got to build that arena and you got to help out. If you don't, Seattle's right there. And then all of a sudden that arena gets built and you're going to have other cities coming up in the same predicament. That's yeah, with, without expansion, about. without expansion, you're right. Uh, you know, Seattle's sitting there. Seattle's the largest market uh, in the United States It's kind of without insane. a basketball team. It's kind of insane that they don't have a team. When you think about, you have Microsoft and Amazon there. I mean, you well, It's like LA not having a football team for a long time. It's, you know, <laughs> it may not be as nuts as that, but it's pretty nuts. I mean, Bezos could just, say, all right, what's the price tag for an expansion team? And I'm going to build the Amazon dome 
or whatever, the Amazon Arena or whatever, and he just builds this 20, and all of a sudden, you look at what Kroenke You got to love basketball, to, though, to do that. So he doesn't like it. I don't know. I'm silent on we the topic. Like I have it. no idea. I love basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Jeff thinks about basketball, actually. Because Kroenke was smart. Kroenke had the team. He bought the land. When he bought the land, the amount of money he spent, I don't know, if you if you made the dotted line, it's like, oh, well, you can see where this is going. Now he's going to own the second biggest uh, team in the league from a market standpoint. He has a, he has a monopoly in the city. There's no, you know, he, everybody has to basically go through him to play there. If there's a second team, there's still a tenant, much like you are right now. Yep. And he's going to have Super Bowls. He's the epicenter of the, of the NFL, stuff like that. Why couldn't an arena that you built be the NFL version, be the NBA version of that? I mean, could it really be. could, right? Could be, I guess. It could be kind of the West Coast epicenter if you did it. Yeah, could be. I mean, the most important thing right now is for us to take a look, think about the arena, see what what you know AG really wants to do with Staples and yeah. us as a tenant. When's your lease end? 2024. This is not you know minute by minute, but yeah. if you really want to build an arena, there's a permitting process. You got to get the land. We don't have that. You got to go through a permitting process. Got to go through a, a real serious negotiation with the current landlord because you know it's not a casual thing to say, "Hey, let's go build a yes. billion dollar or whatever it would cost building." So, um, so what? you could say seven years out is early, and you could say seven years out is about right. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. One of the uh, interesting things about the NFL versus the NBA is the difference in the ownerships uh, and the people who actually own the teams. The NFL is a lot of old money. It's a lot of legacy money. It's a lot of people that built businesses and had, the, had them for decades and kind of old school America. And the NBA is the complete opposite. You were talking before, it's hedge funds, tech. I'm going to say maybe 16, 17, 18 people are kind of new money owners. What's it like in those board of directors meetings? I mean, you have some of the smartest 21st century businessmen in the in the whole country, and they're all in the same room, but you also have a lot of ego too. You're what right. is that like? You're I mean, right about everything you just <laughs> characterized. Everybody's got the best new idea. Yeah. And I thank goodness for Adam Silver. Mm. Uh, you got a guy who really is wise. He's He listens well. He knows his job is to sort of keep, take the best for the owners and then set a course for the league. Your league office is kind of funny, right? The owners own the league yeah. as well. Yeah. Owners are officially Adam's boss. The board is. And yet, in a in a healthy sense, and we're business partners. We collectively own half, owe half of our revenue to to the players, 
we need to worry about competitive parity or you can't sell tickets. On the other hand, we're competitors. Yeah. And as competitors, it's hard for me to look at a guy and say, oh, you're my business partner. But heck, I can't completely trust you because we have different interests. And Adam gets to sort of put that in the in the soup, mix it all together. And, and I think he does a fantastic job of taking the best ideas and synthesizing them out to, to something that makes sense for, for the whole league. Does it tick you off that everybody, it's basically the revenue sharing is, is really good. It wasn't always, but it's been good lately compared to what it was in the past. You have a team like Philly that can just be like, we're going to pay as little salary as we possibly can. We're going to stink every year and we're going to get a top five pick. But Steve Ballmer, knock yourself out. Keep paying the $110 million a year. We'll be happy to share some of that revenue with you. And we're going to try to cherry pick the next superstar. I don't know if that's a great system. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, I actually think it is a good system as long as it doesn't go too far. Well, let me explain why. Okay. I'll just give you an example. I would say that went too far, though. What Philly's doing has gone too far. What Philly's doing is almost independent, though, of revenue sharing or what they are purported to have done. Yes. I, you know, okay. Uh, Josh Harris is my partner. I don't know what really happened. So Josh I, Harris is smart. He I, have, the I have his back. But yeah. it's almost independent of revenue sharing. It has more to do with the cap and the way all that stuff works. But let's say the Lakers sign a, call it $200 million a year deal. Okay. The players are entitled to $100 million of that. Okay. The cap's going to go up. Cap's going to go up by $3 million bucks a year. Yeah. That essentially added $3 million of cost to Memphis. Memphis didn't get any of that revenue. The Lakers got all that revenue, and all of a sudden the Memphis guys got $3 million of more cost and no more revenue. Some sharing to help with that is completely appropriate to some level. You go beyond that level, it's not appropriate. You can't have to take the pressure off of Memphis to do a good job because LA Lakers got a huge TV contract. So some amount of revenue sharing is appropriate. And when you go beyond a certain point, you're just encouraging what I would call lazy behaviors yes. uh, in certain markets. And so getting that balance right, you know, you don't want to tell a guy, hey, good news. You don't have to sell any tickets. You don't have to have a winning team because you're going to get paid from the big markets. That would be wrong. Uh, and I think, right, that is a place where there is balance. That's a place where the owner's can get kind of just a little, you know, uncomfortable with one another. Yeah. It's a place where Adam does a great job of, and the league office of really trying to keep that thing in exactly the right balance. What's the best idea you've heard in that room that the league couldn't actually do? The best or the idea. best idea, or the idea you're most jealous of, or something you're like, man, that would be a game changer. It's too bad we can't do that. Maybe well, there's no I think the... I, there's an idea I'm very excited about, which we will do with the Clippers, and yet it will be hard for us to realize its full potential without the league eventually picking up. I am excited about what you can do with software over the internet to transform the experience for a fan who's not in the arena, hmm. whether they're on their phone, they're in their home. You know, Can you, through software-based techniques, change it so that if you want to see the game, let's say from Chris Paul's perspective, Instead of, you know, center court, camera, move up and down a little bit. No, I want to be and see the game the way Chris sees the game. Software can actually let that happen. So Chris Paul would have to wear a helmet, Cam? No, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Software can figure it out. 
Okay. If we can't figure it out this year, it'll figure it out in two or three years. I'm a software guy, so yes, I'll exaggerate how quickly it can happen. Blah, blah, blah. But it's going to happen. And you say, okay, but you got to have the rights. We can do that here, yeah. or we can do that in partnership with Fox, because we've been talking about it. But when the big contracts were signed with TNT and ABC, ESPN, that wasn't part of the mix. And it, the league did the right thing. Uh, ABC did the or ESPN did the right, Disney did the right thing, Turner, everybody did the right thing. And yet I'm still hoping amongst hopes that if we can prove out this technology, we can get it adopted. Because there are games we, we don't have a rights to even for the Clippers. Yeah. There are games that are exclusive. And even for those games, even if we get this stuff figured out we won't, with Fox, we're not going to have a chance to bring that to people. And that's nobody did a wrong thing. Everybody did everything right. And yet, I think there's still so much to be figured out with the digital. And other owners have other concepts they're playing with. This free D thing that Intel does. and VR. VR. There's yeah. going to be a lot of things. And the question is, how do you spin that together? And every owner's got good ideas. The league understands the importance of the rights that have been granted and did the right thing. But solving all of that, that'll be a thing that... It will require a lot of creativity and could have a little bit of frustration despite everybody being interested in the right thing happening. Adam always told me that the great thing about Dr. Buss was being in this room, you have all this ego, testosterone, all these guys who are just used to doing it their own way. And he was like, Dr. Buss would barely say anything, but he would always have like the best two points in the meeting. And he was just kind of the sage of, of, of the room. Is there somebody like that now or is it a bunch of people? Because I'd imagine Cuban has some opinions. Mark's got a lot of are you, opinions. Are you on Cuban's corner? He's got a lot of opinions. He's very energetic. <laughs> Sage is not the word I was going to use for Mark. You know, uh, fired up, rambunctious, 28 ideas a second. Sage yeah. sort of implies a little more contemplative, a little more thoughtful, yeah. uh, step back a little bit more. Uh, I would, and in some cases you, oh, I would say, yeah, Mickey Arison. Oh, I would, would say I Mickey would, Arison. That's a good guess. I, was, I, I would guessed say that one. Mickey Arison. Um, I might also say Glenn Taylor, who's the board chairman from the Timberwolves, hmm. but I absolutely, uh, would put Mickey Arison on that list. You, you dabbled with the idea of doing like a WWE network type of thing with Clipper games. Still, and it seems like you're still investigating it. Yeah. No, what we're What's looking at. What's the biggest at? obstacle? Well, I mean, look, you can just stream games. Who who cares? Yeah. I mean, you can go get Fox Go today and get our game streamed. That's right. not really the issue. But disappearing from cable and forcing people to be like you can you can only see our games downloading this app or the or paying for the subscription is a different. Right. Right, but then you're just substituting one business model for another. The key to me is getting some innovation going. Yeah. So just streaming our games, which you can do on Fox Go and the business models well established, probably is not value add. When you can let people, um, instead of just watching the game, when you can let them do the kind of stuff I said earlier, I'm going to watch the game today just for, I'm going to watch the first half and see it like Chris Paul. I'm going to watch the second half and see it like Blake Griffin. Or... I'm going to watch this game where I can choose my camera angle. Mm. I can have any seat in the building. I can get instantaneous. Can sit next to you. Can sit next to me. You can get instantaneous. Hear a lot of grunting and screaming. Yeah. Ah! 
<laughs> I've seen you during the games. You know, How much soda do you have before a game? Like 80 ounces? I don't drink, I don't take any caffeine. No, ca- it's natural caffeine. Zero. Amazing. Zero. I got off caffeine two years ago. So all I have, probably like idea. this Perrier here, yeah. is some water with fizzies in it to get me to get me stoked. Look, I, 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 I'm into it. I've always been into yeah. my, my kids' games. This isn't like your kids' games. Your kids' games, whoa. Yeah. That's, and, and, and I'm all positive, just for the record. I don't get on refs. That's not my deal. But I, I got to say, I've never the, seen you yell at the refs. It's not I mean, my maybe deal. like, yeah, but not like some of these other. No, I mean, yeah. look, you know, there's occasionally be a call. Uh, yeah. But basically, I, I don't believe in it. They're doing their best job. There's a whole process, the, you know, the league uses to pick the good refs from the bad refs. You know, I don't think it's going to help our team much for me to start yelling at refs. Right. I don't know why that would help. So I'm all positive on that kind of stuff. But, you know, other than your kids' games, it, it's even – look, I'm more, I'm more invested yeah. than, than, than even the most invested fan. And I don't just mean financially. It's just sort of like, wow, you know, I know, I know, I know the guys, I know the coaches, I know the trainers. And I was football manager. I was a team manager for the football team when I was at Harvard. Yeah. And, yeah, I, don't, I felt I wasn't playing. And they weren't my kids, but they were my friends. And, you know, you get an extra juice out of that. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. How much of your life is just spent with people coming up to you and talking about the Clippers and you're at dinner and they bring it up and you're at a party and they bring it up and you're at the mall and they bring it up. Like maybe you don't go to a mall. I don't no, do they I even have the malls mall. anymore. Yeah, you're at the yeah. Grove. Yeah, we're around. mall we're mall guys. Okay, good. Uh, uh, our family's it, mall, mall like? especially when we had our kids younger. Nowadays, a little less mall people, but I still like to go to Microsoft. I guess, you, but you're not in LA that much, so you probably don't feel it as I much don't as know you what did. You mean, if you I'm were. not in LA. Yeah, I'm not. In, I don't live here. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, I'm I'm down here for a day and a half today. I'm yeah. back down. We uh, we have some stuff we do down here on the civic and philanthropic front that has nothing to do with the Clippers. So, you know, I'm down reasonable amount. But it is different. When I go to the mall in Seattle, yeah, I might, you know, people say, yeah, go Clippers. But people aren't pounding on me. Hey, why didn't you do this? You should have done this at the trade deadline. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm not getting that. I'm just going, go Clippers. Right. Because, you know, you're not dealing with your hometown your hometown guys. Now, when I'm here, a lot of what I'm doing is, you know, stuff. It's business. It's work. Even if it's philanthropic or civic, you know, it's a professional aspect to it. And when you go to the arena, what do you got? You got guys who want more. But they're kind of invested. Yeah, they're they're supportive. So I don't get the what I'd call the fan hammering uh, that I probably would get if I lived here and you know was going down to you know buy bagels in the morning. Right. Hey, what did you do? Why, why didn't you guys win the game last night? Right. Um, you trading Blake? What's going on? Are you gonna trade him? You're you're entering your some f- of the fan. Uh, some of the players 
families will go even crazier. They'll say, oh, seriously? Why aren't our guys playing defense? <laughs> <laughs> I've got that from one of the players' family members recently. You're entering, you're getting close to year four. This will be your fourth year owning the team. Yeah, this is my third season yeah. wrapping up. Exactly. What were you bad at in year one? What do you look back at and go, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. I, God, I sucked at this. Like, what were you bad at? Yeah, year one, I was good at being a newbie. <laughs> Right. <laughs> not good at much anything else. And what does that mean? It means that I was still um, new to understanding the business side. Yeah, I was clueless in really understanding the way the cap works. Um, clueless in that. Did you make any? I can't remember. Did you make a? Yeah, we made one big trade my uh, my first year. That was the deal that got us Austin. Oh, Rivers. Yeah, yeah. That okay. was my first. No, I can't tell you I understood it Didn't, much. Right. I'm sitting there at a, a party before the national um, championship uh, football game. Uh, my wife went to Oregon. Oregon's playing Ohio State in a game. Yeah, I think that's my first year. Yeah, first year of ownership. And, uh, you know, I'm just okay. And the only reason I got involved in that is, shoot, you know, we're trading for Coach's son. Yeah, that's a little weird. I better, I better be part of that. Yeah. I feel like I have to have his back on that. So... First year, I'm bad at every. Let's just say I'm bad at everything. I don't know how to communicate with the team. I'm not sure where's what's too much, what's too little. I'm not trying to be invasive. I know the whole story of Sterling. You know, by the second year, I kind of get it. It's part of the owner's job to really pump guys up when they do something right. Yeah. So I find a way to do that my second year. Uh, I start finding ways to appropriately connect. Uh, you know, I. You know, whether it's texting guys after the game, I show up a little bit before. I have a tradition now, at least in my mind, where I give a little talk at uh, training camp, kind of, you know, lessons learned, things I think yeah. about. I'm not telling them, yeah, we're going to run more, you know, we're going to run more pick and roll this year on the right side. or I'm not doing that. But, you know, so I, I, I think I got that down. Uh, still... Still really participating in a meaningful way with guys on how to shape the roster. And people think shaping the roster has something to do with picking player A versus player B. It does. It does. But Doc understands that. And Lawrence understands that. What I can understand is the way the cap actually works and how you map. It's like a math puzzle. You're, it's a big math jigsaw puzzle. five years of the team, not one. Yeah, and you, you got to think, okay, you know, what are we going to have for picks? What are we going to have for cap space? Whatever the guys think are the best guys out there. Look, I'm good at math. That I can do with Lawrence. Okay, where are we going to get the capacity, you know, to, to sign new guys? Or how do we get enough of flow of minimum guys? Where are we going to get our capacity to shape our team? Because you know, I think everybody knows we're over the cap. We're actually in the tax. But when you're over the cap, you don't have much flexibility to shift around right. your roster. And if you say, hey, look, we're close, but not quite there, how do you get the flexibility? There are other guys who can tell you player A versus player B. You know, uh, about my only real contribution is say, hey, I saw some high school kid in Seattle and he looked really good. <laughs> Put up 60. Well, and it turns out probably a kid will be the number one or number two pick a next false? year. 
well, this year's Fultz, but the kid next year, oh, I do, uh, Michael, Michael Porter, Porter Jr., Jr. Yeah, yeah. he plays in the same league right. as my son. Yeah. So I have watched him play a few times. And <laughs> You're like, hey, this kid Porter Jr. said they're like, yeah, we yeah, know. And they say, yeah, yeah we kind of know about yeah, him. He's on our radar. Yeah, yeah, our, yeah, thank you very much for your scouting. <laughs> go, go back to that mathy stuff. <laughs> it seemed from afar the biggest... <laughs> the biggest kind of, I don't want to say mistake, because I don't know if you knew any better, but Doc being the coach and the GM and having the kind of power and authority he had, I think it, I think those are two different jobs. And I, and it seems like you've realized that because you recalibrated, but I, I just think it's impossible for one guy to do everything because coaching a team is a full-time thing to have a first round pick and, you know, kind of on the side, you're also figuring out what to do there. It's just too much. No, it's it's too much. The thing I like about our structure is we we have two full time guys, Lawrence and Doc. Lawrence works for Doc, yeah, which I think is good. Then there's nobody can hide and say, "Oh, I'm not accountable." Oh, yeah, so and so didn't do what so and so said to do. I get one point of accountability for our basketball operation. You know, we don't have the front office pointing at the coach, the coach pointing at the front office, and yet we still now have a really, really hard working, you know, Lawrence is new to front office this yeah. year, but there's nobody who'll ever outwork Lawrence. There's nobody who'll ever get around. And Lawrence, you know, he's like a sponge. He'll go to everybody who's a GM, has ever been a GM. What can I learn? What can I learn? Takes notes. Uh, I have a friend up in Seattle, a guy named Bob Whitsett, who used to be yeah. uh, involved with the Sonics. Lawrence said, can I pick his brain? Like three hours later, you know, they, you know, Bob says, wow, that guy was super curious, wants to know what's going on. So we have a full-time guy who I think is incredibly talented, still new to that part of the, the business. And, and I think what we have though, is a single point of accountability. You know, there are plenty of owners who say, uh, you know, your front office should report separately to the owner from the coach. Plenty of people will say that. Uh, and yet there's a semi-trend. You know, whether it was Pat Riley or Thibodeau or uh, Van Gundy in Detroit, Doc here, uh, it's certainly not a foreign concept. Uh, Paul Allen will tell tell me, you know, Steve, you got to keep them separate. But there's almost this, if you look at the Seahawks, which Paul also owns, there's this weird sort of mystical symbiotic relationship right. between Pete Carroll and Judge Snyder uh, that means he really does have a single point of accountability to the Hawks. What's the biggest, what's the best way you've gotten better on the business side? Because that was another one where there was like, oh, man, all these new people on the Clippers business side, it's a mess over there. And then it seems like the ship's been righted over the last year. Well, I think there are three things. Number one, we hired Gillian Zucker and gave her some time to work into it. I mean, she knows about how to take yeah. care of people at events. When you run NASCAR tracks, you learn how to handle what I call high capacity. That that track's not busy except maybe four days a year, and you got to provide high customer service, so those people are not going to bring their RVs and come back for four days next year. Yeah. So I think we hired a person, and you know, first year, she's learning basketball too. So that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, this ticketing thing is actually more complicated than you yeah. think. We were talking about that <laughs> earlier. And right. I think I'm getting, a, you know, Gilly and I, we're getting a grab on what that really means to try to give the fans what they want and what's going to help us optimize revenue. How many seats do you sell to brokers, this, that, uh, the other thing. So I think that's the second thing. And I had a third thing in my head. Oh, game operations. This is probably the business thing I spend most of my time thinking about. How do you get the fan base going? 
You know, literally during the game, pumped like up from the twenty minutes before all the way through halftime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important to me. That's that. Sorry to your to your to your sound guy. I'm up, I'm apologizing for banging my hands, but yeah, that's important to me. Yeah, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. I didn't love the way we were doing it before I came on board. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a way. You know, we're gonna keep. I, I didn't know anything was happening. They were just kind of throw the ball out. You mean before I got there? Or yeah, now? before. Yeah. Well, they started the last couple of years. They the video before the starting lineup. They they started tinkering, but you should have been there in like 2006. No, I've been. That's the thing. I pr- yeah. probably on the business side. It's kind of the you could say that's the intersection of business and basketball. That's the stuff I've probably put more attention. Yeah, what should we do in our timeouts? I don't like the way the music comes into the timeout. It's got a crescendo right into the at the end of the timeout. So everybody's pumping and thumping right yeah. when the game starts. Chuck, why do we bring along Chuck? Because I think there's a difference sometimes between having uh, a voice yell, get on your feet. Yeah. That's not bad. But I saw the coyote in San Antonio and he just holds up a sign. Ooh, the place erupts. I said, God, we got to have the equivalent of the coyote. Actually, I met a guy just retired. Just hire the coyote. Well, the guy who was the the guy who was the coyote just retired. And this guy comes up to me at my seat like two games ago, three games ago. I said, I I, want to introduce myself. I'm the former coyote. Oh, wow. And I've been I've been praising this guy, praising him on Kona, (laughs) praise him everywhere. And he said, yeah. You guys have asked me to coach up Chuck. So I'm, I'm here to provide coaching to Chuck. Boom! But everything, you know, how many T-shirts do you fire at timeouts? We fire a lot more T-shirts than anybody else, I it's think, in the NBA. It's an incredible volume of fired T-shirts, you I know, agree. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, uh, I have a partner. It's a good thing if you want to watch people just clothesline each other to get a $9 T-shirt, which I enjoy. It's not quite clear. But you know, let's take the arenas where they take one T-shirt and they tease everybody and then they fire yeah. it. I don't think the fans get up the same way. No, I like the way we do it. I'm, you know, uh, but I like you, it too. But you can think about it. You can talk about it. You know, what do you do fourth quarter? We do the make some noise. We have the meter. Is that right? Do we pick exactly the right songs during the game? You're actually a lot more prescribed. The league tells you there's like 11 songs you can use or 11. I think you need more sports movie clips would be my one ad. I agree with you. I, the Celtics are great at, you know, the at Rudy clips, clips, the Hoosiers, the old school, yeah, like just mixing those in. The Warriors the are also, time. the Warriors are, are pretty good at, good at it. Warriors are, when I gave sales meeting speeches at Microsoft, uh, I was pretty good at it, and especially music. Yeah, yeah. Let's get ready famous to for rumble. That. You know, that people don't even use that that much anymore. I'm going to do my Scott Van Pelt impersonation for this next question. Steve, I know this is a tough question to ask, and it's my responsibility to ask it. I don't like asking it, but I'm going to have to ask it. Um, This is year six of Chris and Blake. They have never made round three together. It's year four of Doc's Chris, Blake, and DJ. And if this team doesn't make it this year past round one or if it flames out in round two or whatever – it's hard for me to imagine that everybody just comes back and we're just like, all right, seventh time might be a charm. Is there is there a finish line on this team, good or bad, this spring? Well, I get a lot of excitement about what what we can accomplish this spring, and that's our. And I, this isn't just one of those blah 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 answers. That really is our focus. I mean, we have a hundred. Just think it positively. We have a hundred scenarios. Of course, do you plan every scenario? Of course you do. Of course you do. I mean, look, Blake's a free agent. Chris is a free agent. JJ's a free agent. We're going to have to win them to come back. 
Yeah. If we want him back, we're going to have to go out there and win. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have to win Chris back. Chris, uh, considering Chris is in charge of the players union and they just created this new rule that the guy, the guy Max Steele could extend till you're 38 years old. Wow. Oh, that was great for Chris Paul. He just happens to be turning 38 at the end of his next Max Steele or whatever age. It's not I lost on funny. me though. It's yeah. not lost on me. So, so we don't know what hand we're going to have. So we got all, we, you know, we got a ton of scenarios that we're planning for. But just as a basketball fan and somebody who's been going to these games for the last three or four years, at some point, I think with every basketball team, you have to decide, does no, you, this you group hold, work? Can you, you we hold, win a title with this group? You hold us accountable. Our job right now is to win. I think our job in the summer is very different depending on how much success we have between now and June. Hear me? June. How much do you go backwards and go, all right, we haven't even made round three yet, but I was there for game six, 2015, when the game was over, and then Josh Smith and Corey Brewer start making threes. The Clippers, are, everybody's dead from, oh, now you're, the, the audience can't see you, but it's like I'm, I'm stabbing you with a sword right now. Well, you are. Uh, you are. The Clippers are super tired. Some crazy threes, momentum switches, crowd got as nervous and deer in the headlights as I've ever seen a crowd in my life. Everything snowballs. All of a sudden, you're not going around three. Last year, Blake gets hurt. Throw that year out. He has to fight with the equipment man. It's just a year from hell. Chris, so, get, Chris gets, Chris gets hurt. I mean, you can make excuses for the last two years and say, that was a fluke. Last year was a fluke. I'm not making any excuses. No, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying I don't excuses exactly can be made. I don't think but this year everybody's healthy. I mean, guys, guys getting hurt's a little different. Yeah. I mean, people say, oh, they can't win without their two leading scorers. There's something reasonable about that. Injuries are a special category, but otherwise, no. You, you you own your you own your success. That's the way it works. I would say there 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 are really no outs for this season. Everybody's healthy. No. They they Chris Paul and Blake Griffin when they're both healthy and playing well. Uh, are two of the best 12 to 15 players in the league, depending yeah. on what your list is. More higher. DJ's a, DJ is a, an all-star center. Yeah. You have shooters. You have a coach who won a title in 2008. Yep. You're in a conference that the guy in the best team is recovering from a knee surgery. You have the Spurs. Did he, I don't that think he had surgery, did he? The, well, sprained knee. It's sprained. sprained I don't know knee. if he I'm actually... Yeah, yeah, did he need knee. a surgery? I no, actually I don't, don't think know. he did. Whatever yeah. they're doing. Okay, whatever. Uh, the Spurs... Kawhi and no Tim Duncan anymore, man. And we play them well. Play them we well. play them well. We lost the last game. Should have won it. But we've beaten them twice. Houston this year. has a bunch of guys that, uh, other than James Arden, you know, Lou Williams, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon. None of those guys has, have ever really been in a gigantic playoff game. So I mean, Utah, no playoff experience really at all. We got a, we got a great team, and this is our you know this is our time. Okay, and our guys know that. You know, the only thing we're doing right now, or the most important thing we're doing right now, is getting our rhythm back with the same group that opened the season. Yeah. You know, we were in rhythm. Everybody was functioning well those first 16 games of you the year. And then people start getting hurt. And then a lot of things change because guys are playing with different guys. You get out of your pattern. Now we've spent what? How long has it been since Chris got back? I don't know, six, seven games, maybe something like that. Really getting our rhythm. He looked back. great in the Utah game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you ended up you lost it in the last four minutes, but he was fantastic. Yeah, and they shot lights out. They, I mean, they look, played we very defended. Well. We defended actually decently on those threes, yeah. but they shot lights out. Um, I think the Cleveland game on Saturday is going to be a really good test. 
I think so too. You don't. I'm not going to say the season's over or not, depending on how that thing, you know, if we win, we're not NBA champions. No, I, I and think if it's we lose, nice we're not dogs. I agree with you. It's you, ABC, Saturday night. You're going to have a great crowd. You're going to have some Cavs fans there too. There's going to be a little bit of a soccer element. LeBron has just perennially been an awful matchup for the Clippers. Um, the Clippers although we beat them in Cleveland earlier true. this year. But the, 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 the small forwards which really nobody can stop. But, I, you know, those that's been a little bit of a kryptonite for but, the Clips. But the truth is, I think we've got about as good a small forward in the NBA to guard LeBron as anybody. i put Luke up there with anybody in terms of, I mean, LeBron's hard to guard. Le, le, this, you know, LeBron's LeBron. So I'm so not... LeBron's but, listening now. LeBron's spidey sense is just active. He's a Clippers, no, he's LeBron. Clippers owner said someone can guard me. He's like, I didn't say that. I said, we got about as good a guy as you're going to put on him in the league. And I believe that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's about as good. It doesn't mean, you know, LeBron's a superstar. There's no question. But you say, who are the best guys to match up against him as good as he is? I mean, I, you'd certainly put Kawhi Leonard on that list. No question about that. Um yeah. There's some other good three and D Kawhi's guys. Kawhi's been incredible. Yeah, he's incredible. I, listen, I think you need to step it up. I don't think you've given enough this year on this. I, I think you need to ramp up. I think you need to start drinking caffeine again. I just think you need to go up a level. You're bust, I don't feel you like you want You may be busting it. my chops, but <laughs> DJ does that to me after some games. He said, I didn't hear you tonight. Where were I, you? I, I, What's wrong with you tonight? I think we need playoff Steve Ballmer. I think we're ready. We'll have it. That, unless I do too many podcasts and blow my voice out. Other than that, I'll be good. Damn. I mean, we're out of time. I had all these questions about Apple, but yeah, you'll come back at some point. Sure. This was fun. I didn't get you in trouble. No, not at all. Well, if, if you did, I did it to myself. Did we get him in trouble? <laughs> Seth, did we get him? Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. Thanks, my, Bill. Uh, just quickly, Microsoft. Good shape. Like what's quick scatter report? Hey, stocks at sixty five. The world thinks Microsoft's in super good shape, uh, and I love I love what I love my successor uh, company is navigating what's always a tough sort of set of waters in tech. Um, yeah, pretty good. Pretty darn good. I'm still a Microsoft Office user. I've ne- I never bought in on the Apple. I still use the IBM ThinkPad. With You're the Microsoft man. Office. I don't. That shows years. up. You can hear that on the podcast. Yeah, there we go, baby. Twenty years of Microsoft Office word. You're oh, good. You're best. good, man. Good luck with the rest now of the season. Now I'm for sure coming back. I'm. By the way, all we need to do now is to get you to. Other than your beloved Celtics, blah, blah, blah. We got to get you to be a completely committed Clipper fan. And well, we're going to figure out how to bar you from the building every time we play the, play the Celts. I hid in the suite the last time because I always feel bad with, with the people in my section. They look they look at me like I'm a traitor. When I Do you bring green when we play the Celts? No, I'll wear like some sort of, like maybe a hat or maybe, I try to be respectful. Because well, take know, the Bostonian nice. out of Boston, no, but you listen. I'm coming on Saturday night. Good. I, I just better look over and be like, "Wow, Bomber's lost his mind tonight. He really wants this one." If I don't feel that way, I'm going to feel like this podcast was not a success. And you know what? I hope you do. What? If I don't deliver, I hope you'll record a, an appendix I'll to this podcast yeah. Yeah. that yeah. said Bomber didn't show up tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. 
Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 